You're listening to the English Ministry Podcast of Chinese Christian Church Thousand Oaks. Join us every Sunday at 11 a.m. Find out more at english.cccto.org. But as we learned last week, Jesus doesn't talk about bliss the way you and I talk about bliss. Jesus starts his message saying that it is blissful to be poor in spirit. It's blissful to be poor, and we don't like that message. That's not something that we are particularly drawn to, but we saw that until we are poor in spirit, then we don't fully recognize the gift and the wonder of the kingdom of God. Well, today, Jesus is leading us to talk about mourning and to have a good morning. Now, we like to say to people, we probably said it this morning a number of times, good morning, good morning, or how are you? But God wants us to know that there's another morning that's better than just a good morning, as we might want, the kind of good morning that happens if there's good sunshine, or the kind of good morning that happens if we're on vacation, or something we're really looking forward to that day. But there actually is a good morning. If you would open up your Bibles with me, we're going to be looking at a number of verses in the New Testament, but we're going to start with Matthew chapter 5. Matthew 5, verse 4, because this is our passage for today. And it says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are those who mourn, for they'll be comforted. So a good mourning is something that Jesus wants us to have. And yet, I, like you, don't want to do that. I enjoy happiness. I don't, I don't want grief. Uh, I want things to go well. I don't want to mourn. I don't want sorrow and sadness. You know, I want laughter and happiness. But Jesus says that's not the way that he wants. That's not the way to get the things that God gives to us that we truly need. There's a song that was um, popular in 1970s by Albert King, and sort of a blues guitarist. And he, he had a song that was called, Everybody Wants to Go to Heaven. And just one of the lines says this, I say everybody wants to laugh, but nobody wants to cry. Everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. Isn't that true? But unless Jesus comes back and takes us directly to heaven, how are you and I going to get to heaven? We have to die, right? We have to die to get to heaven. And yet nobody wants to die. We don't like to hear the truth sometimes. And yet we need the truth. And Jesus begins here. Have you ever like, felt really sick, but you didn't want to tell anybody? Because like, if you're a kid, like, well, then mom and dad might take you to the doctor, and you might have to get a shot. Or if you're an adult, and, and you have a problem, and it just doesn't seem to go away, you're afraid to go to the doctor because you actually don't want to hear bad news. And so you're afraid to go and get bad news. But then finally, suppose you go, and, and the doctor says, well, you know, um, I'm going to tell you the truth, um, and, and the truth is that you're very sick, and, and you have cancer. Now, are you glad that you went to the doctor because of the truth that you're very sick? Or would, have been, or would it have been better if you went to the doctor and he was in his office and he got all the reports and he looked at everything and he realized that you had cancer and he said, you know, I, I really like these people. They're really nice people and I don't want to ruin their day. 
And so you, he calls you into his office and he says, yeah, we, we, we did all the tests and I just want you to know you just got a really bad flu. Was that a good doctor? No, no, Jalen's going, yes, no. It's not a good doctor, Jalen. Please don't do that. Okay. Um, we need to hear the truth, even if we don't like it. So this morning, Jesus is going to give us the truth. And Jesus was not a motivational speaker. Okay? Jesus probably wouldn't be on TED Talks. People, people wouldn't want to hear it. Open, turn your Bible to Luke 6.25, which is the parallel passage of Matthew chapter 5. So we have the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. We have the Sermon on the Mount in a different form in Luke chapter 6. And Luke captures Jesus' additional words so Jesus in Matthew says, blessed are, the more, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And Luke says, Jesus went on to say something else. In Luke chapter 6, verse 25, he said, woe to you who laugh now. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. So not only does Jesus say the truth about those who are going to be blessed, he says the truth to those who won't be blessed. And he says, it's a good thing to mourn now because you are going to get comfort. You're going to get my comfort. But it's a bad thing if all you are is happy now because you're going to end up mourning later. And so Jesus is getting our attention. Jesus is helping us to see that he understands, but he wants us to be ready to receive his understanding. In the prophecy in Isaiah chapter 53, verse 3, the Bible tells us about Jesus and describes him, that he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. A man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. And in his familiarity, this is how he begins the greatest sermon ever preached. He talks about what it means to mourn and to have a good morning. And the first thing we want to understand about what Jesus is going to tell us is that good mourning is spiritual sorrow. It's not just the sorrow that happens because bad things happen in our lives. It's not physical mourning necessarily. It's not emotional mourning necessarily. It's not the mourning that happens when something bad or terrible happens necessarily. But it is specifically and absolutely the mourning that happens because we recognize our spiritual state. Just as the poor and spirit recognize that they need God, so those who mourn are recognizing that they need God. There are nine different words for sorrow, include the definition of including mourning, and this one is the strongest and most severe term, and what it means, it's a broken heart. It is something that goes into our soul and breaks it so that what we know about ourselves isn't happy news. It's something that helps us to spiritually feel sorrow about our true state. Turn with me to James chapter 4. James chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. And we see the same word mourning there. James 4, 8 and 9. And there it says, Come near to God, and He will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. 
Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. James understood what Jesus was saying. Again, this is like not motivational talking. There's good news coming, but we have to deal with the bad news first. This is the reality of what Jesus wants us to understand. He wants us, as James says, wash your hands, you sinners. Nobody likes to be called a sinner. Uh, my pastor back in San Diego uh, told the story about how he would visit a lot of hospitals after babies are born. And uh, then back in the olden days, they, they only put the babies in, in nurseries and people who visited couldn't see them. You had to go to a big room and there'd be a glass window and you could just look in or you could tap on the, the window and, and tell the nurse who you wanted to see and they'd bring the baby up for you to see. And so the pastor said that he, what he enjoyed doing he was kind of a mischievous man. He would go up there, and he would look at the baby of one of his parishioners, and he'd look at the baby, and there'd be other parents around, and he would say, wow, look at all those little sinners. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, you just get the most amazing, dumbfounded looks and reactions from all these other people going, how can you say that? They're so cute, and they're so innocent. He said, but no, no, you know, can you... Can you doubt that someday they're going to do something wrong? Can you doubt that someday they're going to show that indeed they sin? And, and they couldn't deny that. That they were all these really cute little sinners. <laughs> one day you were that too. And maybe one day I was that too and not so cute anymore. Um, but still sinful. And we don't like hear that. I mean, our world doesn't like to use the word sin. I mean, how often does our world use sin? Think about it. The only time I think our world uses sin is when they use it to describe something like an ice cream or a great dessert. It is sinfully delicious. <laughs> it's sinfully delicious. And so our world just totally turns it around. We don't like to talk about sin. This week I got to teach at VBS, and many of you, you know, your children were there, and, and I got to teach about sin, because I got to teach on Gospel Day. I got to teach them about Jesus and about his, his ability to forgive us of our sin. And so children aren't afraid to talk about sin. And so I was teaching um, the little ones in the, in the class on the second, third, and fourth graders. I just asked them, I said, what is sin? What is sin? What do you think sin is? And when one child raised their hand, they said, it's when you hurt somebody. Very good. Then another child said, that's when you do physical harm to somebody. Yes, it is. Somebody else said, that's when you kill somebody. <laughs> I, oh my goodness. And then somebody else said, yeah, like that's when you shoot somebody. And I thought, how sad. And our children have to experience that. They know what it's like. But in a way also, how good and important that is that even second, third, and fourth graders understand what sin is. And Jesus wants us to understand the reality of sin because it is the foundation for which we are going to understand the wonder of grace and of comfort. But we need to understand it Dr. John Stott says this. He says, I fear that we evangelical Christians 
by making much of grace, which we ought to do. We make much of grace. But sometimes thereby we make light of sin. There is not enough sorrow for sin among us. Now, I want you to just think about it for yourself. Suppose somebody really, really hurts you. I mean, really sins against you and really hurts you. And one day they're at home, or, or maybe they're here today, and they hear a sermon, and they go, oh, man, I, I need to go ask that person for forgiveness. And so they go, in and they find you. And I mean, this is a bad sin, okay? They did something that really was grievous and hurt your soul. And they go, hey, I just want to let you know that, yeah, you know, hey, um, well, uh, yeah, I, yeah, I, okay, yeah. Was that sincere? Did that show that, that they had a depth of sorrow in their heart? And, and what would it have taken for you to really know that they were sorry for what they did? Wouldn't it be more like this? You know, I was, I was at church today and God brought the word to me. And as I was thinking about sin and I started thinking about things that I've done wrong, you came to mind. And I realized that what I did last week, when I told you what I told you and what I said and how I said it, and the anger that was in my voice, that I sinned against you, and I did what was wrong, and I am so, so sorry. And imagine if in that moment there were tears coming down your eyes. Would that be the kind of apology that would move your heart? Would that be the kind of sorrow that you might expect of somebody who genuinely knew they hurt somebody else and sinned against them? Well, that's what it would be for me. I hope that I might apologize in that way. And if that works for you, and if that works for me, and if that's what you and I are looking for, if that's what you and I want, how much more God? How much more God? But where does it come from? Where does it come from? How do we get to that place? Do we just sort of make it happen? Turn with me to John chapter 16, verse 8. John chapter 16, verse 8. And it talks about the gift of the Holy Spirit. And there it says in John 16, verse 8, And when He, the Holy Spirit, comes, and this is Jesus speaking, Jesus is telling us, that after he dies, after he goes back to heaven, he is going to send the Holy Spirit. And it says, and when he comes, he will convince the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of coming judgment. The brokenness for sin isn't something that is humanly manufactured or humanly born. It is a gift of God through the Holy Spirit that works in our heart and causes us this spiritual sorrow. It is the work of the Holy Spirit who works in us and helps us to see and experience what God wants us to experience. God wants us. As you see, the Bible says what the Holy Spirit's work is, is to convince us of our sin, to help us to realize how much we need God so that we then seek God's righteousness so that we do not need to fear the coming judgment. Good morning is spiritual sorrow brought upon by the Holy Spirit of God. And it's a gift to you and to me when we feel sorrow for the things we've done wrong. Good sorrow is good morning. 
And good morning focuses on God. Good morning focuses on God. It doesn't just focus on ourselves as if we are just really bad people, but rather it focuses on God so that we are examined by God so that we can be the righteous people God wants us to be. So we need to examine ourselves with the help of God. We turn to God and we say, Lord, show me myself, show me my heart. Why was it that I treated that person that way? Why is it that I lust for something that I know I shouldn't have? Why is it that I wanted to steal? Or why is it that I did steal? Why is it at least that I covet? Why is it that I don't want to obey any of the Ten Commandments? God, what is it in me that causes me to hurt other people? What is it in me that causes me to hurt you? There needs to be a self-examination to the point that we will radically turn to God. Maybe some of you remember this man. You may not know his name, but you may know the story. His name is Aaron Ralston. And in, in 2003, Aaron Ralston was hiking by himself in Utah. And he was canyoneering, and he was going through the canyons, and he fell, and he knocked over a huge rock, and the rock got his arm stuck. So he was stuck in this crevice. He didn't tell anybody he was going hiking. He knew nobody was going to be there. He didn't have a cell phone to talk to anybody. And he was there for five days. And he finally decided he had to do something radical. And so he got out a dull pocket knife that he had. And he amputated his own arm. And then walked, I forget how many miles, to get help. And he survived. He did something radical because he realized he was in a place where he would die unless he did. There was a lady, Dr. Jerry Nielsen, in 1999, just a few years before that. And um, she was a, a, she's a medical doctor, and she was working down in uh, South, Amer uh, South um, Antarctica. She was working down in Antarctica, and she was there, and it was in the Antarctic winter when nobody can go in. And she recognized that um, she had a lump on one of her breasts. And so there was no way she could go out and get help. She's a doctor. So what did she do? She performed surgery on herself. This was something that had to be radically done to remove something that could kill her. Aaron Rostin had to radically remove his arm so that he could be freed to live. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 29 and 30, Jesus says, If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, Cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Now, Jesus is not saying, okay, to literally do that. Okay? So please don't go out and, and do that. Otherwise, all of us would be blind and, and lame, mute. Right? But Jesus is saying, in no uncertain terms, radically look at yourself. I mean, just think, we radically look at other people. You know, we, when somebody hurts us, it's like, it's their fault. We know what they did wrong. 
But how do you think you would react if the moment somebody hurt you and instead of you thinking about their sin, you remembered your worst sin? How do you think you might treat them? How different might that be? And God wants us to look radically at ourselves and not be afraid. Because remember, there is forgiveness, but we need to be honest with ourselves about it. Paul said, wretched man that I am, who will rescue me from this body of death? In Romans chapter 7. He recognized the wretchedness of himself and he mourned within himself. That's in Romans 7, verse 24. But then the very next verse, Paul's word says, Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. That there is radical forgiveness when we recognize the reality of the depth of our own sin. But we must be honest with ourselves of our nakedness before God and of Him being able to see into my heart and see into my life. And when I think about my sins and I think about the things that I've done wrong, that Curtis has done wrong, it's grievous. It hurts. Why do I do that, God? Why do I hurt others? Why do I have such murderous thoughts? Not maybe to murder their body, but to murder their reputation. Why am I so irritable, God? Why is it that I allow anger to turn to rage? Why is it, God, that not only am I covetous, but I'm, I'm also jealous? God, why do I have such a bad temper? God, why can't I control myself? Why am I so envious of what other people have and don't have contentment in myself? Why is it that I can blame other people but never accept responsibility for the things that I do wrong? And, and I see all those things in myself all the time. And, and I have a certain danger, and that is just to kick myself and, and just to beat myself up over it. But that too would be sin. Because God's not what God wants me to do. What he wants me to do is radically take those things to him and ask him for his forgiveness and for him to change me so that I'll be the God, the man of God that he wants me to be. God wants me to express sorrow over my sin, but he also wants me to express sorrow over the sins of others. God also wants me to express sorrow over the sins of others. In John chapter 11, verse 36, the Bible simply says, Jesus wept. And if you remember that story, Jesus wept when he was at the, 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 the burial place for his friend Lazarus, and his friends Mary and Martha were crying, and Jesus wept. And he was weeping over the sins that had led to the death, as sin does, it's the penalty, is death. For all of our sins. Jesus wept over the sins of others. In Psalm 119, verse 136, it says, My eyes shed streams of tears because people do not keep your law. The psalmist understood what Jesus is teaching us here about expressing sorrow. It's what Jesus experienced when he was at the graveside of Lazarus. Paul, in 2 Corinthians 12, 21, experienced sorrow, anticipated sorrow for those that he loved. 
And he said in 2 Corinthians 12, 21, I fear that when I come again, my God may humble me before you, and I may have to mourn over those who sinned earlier and have not repented of the impurity, sexual immorality, and sensuality that they have practiced. Paul mourned over the sins of others. God would have us to mourn over the sins of others. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this, a deep doctrine of sin, a high doctrine of joy, and the two together produces blessed, happy man, of sorrow, man who mourns and who at the same time is comforted. And so when we come to that place of recognizing our great need for God, we're now at the door of receiving the comfort that he wants to give us. Now our hearts in good morning are ready to receive the comfort that God gives. In Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 and 2. Would you read these verses with me? And again, these are prophetic words 700 years before Jesus was born, but what Jesus would be like. Let's read it together. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me, to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. Jesus was coming with the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God upon him. He was coming because he was there to comfort all who mourn. This word comfort means to have consoling presence. Have you ever had somebody come to you who just consoles you and loves you? Yesterday, um, I went and had lunch with one of my best friends, and, and he had turned 60 a couple weeks ago, but I wasn't able to go to his party, and so I took him out to lunch. And this is such a dear friend of mine, and, I, and as I wrote this letter to him to thank him for his, his over 30 years of friendship, I, I reminded him of an incident that happened over 30 years ago when I was just broken in my own life, that just so many bad things were happening in life. And I just asked him to come over to the house, and he came over. And as I began to share with him my own brokenness, I couldn't hold it in, and I just began to cry. I just began to weep. And as it was, my eyes were closed, and I'm weeping. And when I finally finished crying, I look up, and I see my friend, and tears are streaming down his eyes. And I say, why are you crying? And he said, because you are. This is the kind of consolation. This is the kind of comfort that we long for and that we need in friends. And Jesus, in one of our hymns, he is called the friend of sinners. He comes to comfort us. He comes to console us. He came as a baby to be consoled as a baby so that he could console us as children. In Luke chapter 2, 25, we read these words. It says, Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout, and he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. That's a reference back to Isaiah chapter 61, verse 2, where the Messiah was going to come to comfort those who mourn. Comfort meaning consolation. And Simeon was holding the baby Jesus. And through God's revelation, he understood that he was holding the Messiah. He was holding the comfort 
the consolation of Israel. He was holding your comfort and my comfort. And now He, the comforter in Jesus Christ, comes to comfort you and me. So good morning results in God's comfort. It results in God's nearness. And it also results in God's assurance of His forgiveness. It results in the certainty of His forgiveness. God wants us to know how much He cares that when we bring to Him our brokenness, He will hold us and He will accept us. In Psalm 32, verses 3 and 5 and 11, the Bible says, When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave me the guilt of my sin. God wants us to confess the guilt of our sin. And then, a number of verses later in verse 11, he writes, Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing, all you who are upright in heart. God brings joy to our heart to know that we are forgiven. God brings joy to our spirit and wholeness back again with the absolute assurance that He does forgive. And He wants us to know this assurance and this forgiveness in a very personal manner. He wants us to experience it in an embrace. He wants us to experience it and to know that not only does He assure us, but He continually accepts us. Maybe one of Jesus' most famous stories is the story of the prodigal son. And there you know the story about the young boy who asked for all of his inheritance. He said, Dad, I just wish you were dead so I could have my inheritance. But since you're not dead, would you still give it to me anyway? And the father does. And the boy goes and he wastes it and he loses it all and he's, he's in abject poverty and he decides that he's going to go back to his father and then the Bible says in verse 20 of Luke 15, But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. What would it be like for you to be kissed by God? What would it be like for you to feel his embrace? And to know that even before you confessed your sin, he was already running towards you to receive you. Because he loves you as his child. And he receives all who will come to him to be his children who will confess their sin. When I was teaching the children in that same lesson about sin, at the very end I asked them, now do you have any questions? As we, we talked about God's forgiveness, and one little girl raised her hand and she says, yes, um, but what happens if I sin again and I forget to ask God for forgiveness? I mean, this is a little girl, and so I'm, I'm pretty sure that happened to her. What if I sin again and I forget to ask God for forgiveness? Well, that happens to all of us, right? We ignore our sin. We, we don't want to deal with it. We forget. We are like the prodigal son. We forget. But I said to her, honey, you are God's child, you are always God's child. And even though you forget, you will remember. And when you remember, remember this, God never forgets you. God always remembers you.
as your child. So don't be afraid. God won't leave you. I think that was her question. Will God leave me if I sin again? And the answer is no, God won't. But we have to be serious about sin so that we can have the joy of his consolation and forgiveness. Let's pray. Heavenly Father,